Welcome to another episode of Vets Together. This week, I'm giving you my top tips on how your dog can achieve that perfect Hollywood smile, and I am flinging the consulting room doors wide open as I take you behind the scenes of what it's really like to be a vet. This podcast is sponsored by Zilkeen, a calming supplement made with a natural ingredient for cats and dogs. Zilkeen can help your pet cope during stressful situations such as separation, loud noises and changes to their routine. Speak to your vet today for more information. Just as a quick heads up, in this episode we are discussing certain topics around mental health that some listeners might find upsetting. There we go. Just fed Sprouty. It's a lovely way to start the day to be honest, taking a bottle of milk out to a little lamb. And here are the hens. I'm just walking past the hens as well. These are the hens that in episode one we were talking about the eggs in the incubator. Well, they all hatched out, getting about 10 eggs a day, which is far too many for anybody to cope with. Um, so how has everybody been? I'm sorry we missed last week, uh, but I am now back. But with Sprouty unfortunately falling quite sick, it threw everything, uh, everything into chaos a little bit. But we are here for you this week and I am primed, ready with some excellent questions that have come in got Oliver by my side here. How are you doing? Hello, boy. He's looking very cosy in his big bed, but let me grab a cup of tea. I'll go and find a quiet spot in the house. In fact, do you know what? I might actually just cosy up next to him. That's a nice idea, isn't it? This episode will be brought to you from Oliver's bed. Let me grab a piece of paper and I will answer a few of your questions. Okay, right. Hello, Oliver. Oh, good boy. Okay, so first up, a massive thank you, as always, to everybody who has been in touch this week. You can, don't forget, you can email me on vettogetherofficial at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at vettogetherofficial and drop me a message. But first up, Oliver, let me, just let me have a look at your teeth there. (laughs) We're not going straight to the horse's mouth. We're going straight to the dog's mouth because the first question is all about doggy dentistry. Now, over 80% of our dogs and 70% of our cats suffer with periodontal disease by the time they are over three years old, which is just a massive number of our pets suffering here. And it's a huge topic, a huge issue. And it's probably, I would say, the most common infectious disease that I see in our pets that come to the vets. It's something that I talk about nearly in every single consultation that comes through my door. So our first question, hi there, what's the best way to get a dog used to having their teeth cleaned? We've never done it, and then in brackets, I know, exclamation mark. Now, there's no judgment here. (laughs) We've all got to start somewhere, no matter what age of the dog. Um, And I value my fingers as I can't get close. Ooh, thank you, Michaela. So the first thing to do is say, what's the matter? Oh my goodness. Right, hang on, pause. Never work with children and animals, they say, don't they? Right, so the first thing that I would say when we're talking about going near our pet's mouths is it's so, so important just to be safe. You know, the last thing we want is for any accidents to happen. So that has got to be number one. And my second point would be to definitely talk with your vet or vet nurse here because there may well be an underlying reason why they don't like you going so close to their mouth. And that could be either painful teeth or teeth that need extracting. So first things first, go and have a chat with your vet. But if it's more just a training sort of aspect that we're talking about, then there are three three golden rules that I kind of try and encourage people to stick to. First of all, go very steady. There's no rush with this. You want to build this up day by day. It might even be to start with that all you can do is lift the lip and eventually, you know, it might take a couple of weeks even for you to be able to get to the point where you can just touch the teeth with your finger. But go very, very steady. Now, my second point would be to keep things positive because 
you know, we're asking them to sort of all of a sudden accept us prodding and poking around their mouth. And, you know, there's got to be something in it for them. So every time you make a bit of progress, make sure you follow that up with a reward. And thirdly, it's all about repetition. We're not talking about pinning our dogs down and having a wrestling match once every three or four weeks. We're talking about building this up slowly into their daily routine. And then some more specific points. So first of all, never use human toothpaste, only ever use doggy toothpastes. And I actually like to keep the doggy toothpastes back as a reward. So some people say, let them lick it off the toothbrush to start with or your finger. The problem with that is they're often very highly flavored. So you can end up in this kind of almost like feeding frenzy where the dogs don't realize that they've got to sit and let you brush them first. They just see toothbrush, toothpaste, everything's tasty and they're jumping all over the place and get far too excited. So try and save the toothpaste back as the reward for them sitting still and letting you do the brushing. Okay. And then lastly, we're going to address the elephant in the room. We're going to talk about whether we should feed our dogs raw meaty bones to keep their teeth clean. Now, unfortunately, as vets, we do see things when they go wrong. And I can, I can sort of sense that there are people out there now probably puffing up their chest, being ready to defend the fact that they feed their dogs bones. Obviously, not every single dog that gets a bone is going to have a problem, but you do need to be aware of the risks of feeding your dog's bones because anecdotally, I would say that in the last, what, sort of four or five years, maybe as it's become more popular to feed our dogs raw food and and raw meaty bones, I have definitely seen an increase in the number of dogs coming in with fractured teeth due to feeding bones. And so for the huge majority of vets, it's very difficult for us to recommend feeding raw meaty bones because at the end of the day, the risk massively outweighs the benefit, especially when you think you can achieve the same, if not actually a lot better results by using a toothbrush. And toothbrushing is still gold standard as being the most safe and most effective way of keeping our dog's teeth clean. Now, a really good tip here is if you're worried about the chews that you're giving, whether they might fracture their teeth or if they're too hard, is to take your thumbnail and see if you can make an indentation into the surface of the chew. Because if you can, it's probably safe enough to give as a dental chew without running the risk of them fracturing their teeth on it. But there are definitely a number of dogs out there that, yes, toothbrushing is always going to be gold standard in terms of prevention. But what about those dogs that we just can't get near or they just won't let you do a thorough brush? I would say that if you're looking for other products that you could use, whether that's something to add to the water, something to add to the food, um, dental chews, look out for a stamp of approval by the Veterinary Oral Health Council. And then those products that do bear that kind of stamp of approval, at least then you know that the money that you're spending, it's going to actually, the product will do something to help keep their teeth clean. So talk to your vets, talk to your vet nurses, and just know that doing something is always going to be better than doing nothing at all. Find what works for you, find what works for your dog, and uh, prevention is always going to be better than cure. Right, on to our next question, which is all about rabbits. Would you recommend a male rabbit to get neutered? Oh, cross your legs. <laughs> Will it make them calmer, less nibbly, and easier to toilet train? Right. There is nothing more a rabbit loves than living with other rabbits. So we do encourage people nowadays to really try and, if you're going to get a rabbit, try and get at least a pair. And there are different pairings that work better for different personalities. But generally speaking, a male and a female rabbit do live together quite well. However, <laughs> biology would dictate that what starts out as a couple of bunnies would very quickly turn into a massive family. So yes, we do these days recommend neutering male and also female rabbits. 
Neutering will definitely reduce aggression in both male and females, um, and it can also prevent uterine cancers and certain types of uterine infections in female rabbits as well. So, um, but also it can help with litter training. So all three things there that you mentioned, I think neutering probably would help. Male rabbits can spray uh, urine a bit like a tomcat, so neutering them will help to reduce this. It's quite important to also say, though, that male rabbits can stay fertile for up to six weeks after they've been castrated. So just bear that in mind if you're reintroducing a pair. Certainly one thing I would say, though, is that there is still a huge amount of owner anxiety around the anaesthetic with our pet bunnies when it comes to having them neutered. And I can understand it completely. You know, 10 years ago, the risks were definitely a lot higher with anaesthetics with our pet bunnies than, for example, our dogs and cats. But these days, we've sort of advanced so much in understanding rabbit anesthesia, rabbit surgery, that the risks are massively reduced. They're not zero. You know, a low risk is not zero risk. So it is something for you to still have a very open and, you know, detailed conversation with your own vet about. But generally speaking, I would say that the benefits when we're talking about rabbits living much happier lives in social groups, the benefits of having them neutered do outweigh the very small risk of the anaesthetic. I don't think there's anything wrong, though, with you calling around a few of your local vet practices and finding out which of them are more comfortable doing rabbit surgeries, because it might well be that you can find somebody locally who does loads and loads of rabbits, and they're very happy to do that, and they will talk with you about it, and other practices might not do that many. And vets will be very honest with you, so there's there's no problem at all with calling up and saying, can I just talk to you about getting my rabbit neutered? Right. And now talking of vets, I think that's the perfect excuse for me to introduce you to our guest this week. Now, before I do, it's important just to reiterate that whilst I love receiving all of your questions about your pets, I can only answer in very general terms. And if you do have a health concern with any of your pets, it's important that you contact your own registered veterinary practice. So all this talk of vets, being a vet has always been my absolute dream job. There is nothing else I would rather be doing. And since graduating, I have had what can only be described as countless highs. I mean, whether that's treating a horse with life-threatening colic through to, oh, I can't even remember the number of pairs of pants that I've removed from Labrador, greedy Labrador's guts, uh, even treating a baby elephant. I, you know, I, I literally have got stories galore. And whilst I feel just hugely grateful and privileged to have these phenomenal experiences as a vet, there are also some pretty low lows. And I've definitely had my fair share of the ups and the downs from personal struggles with mental health to the feelings of just emotional exhaustion. Now, indeed, the veterinary profession does boast some pretty worrying statistics. And according to the British Veterinary Association website, 37% of vets are actively considering a career change altogether due to stress, burnout or a lack of career progression. And another area that perhaps a lot of vets are quite aware of, but it's not so much spoken about publicly, is really what can only be described as a mental health crisis within the profession. And tragically and incredibly upsettingly, vets are actually four times more likely to end their life by suicide than the general population. Now, thankfully, there is a huge amount of work being done in this area to increase our awareness and understanding of these of these awful statistics. And that can only really, you know, within the profession, that can only be a very positive step in the right direction. Now, I would absolutely never, ever actively discourage anybody from following their dream. If, if, you, if all you can think about is becoming a vet, 
And I do get so many questions from people listening about wanting to get into vet school. If that's all you can think about and you've got that veterinary itch, you know, that like I had, like, mo- like most vets have had, and I'm not just talking about the fleas that have jumped off, off your consulting room table, you know, that, that sort of thing within you, that burning need to become a vet, then I'm really hoping that today's podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about what it is to to really be a vet and the sort of the the pros, but also a few of the cons. I mean, there is nothing else that I'd rather be doing. I just love my job as a vet, but there are a few things that maybe I wish I'd known before applying to vet school. So, right, let's get into it. The arm, arm length gloves at the ready. We are going to go deep into the world of veterinary medicine. And to do this, I'm going to bring on one of my very good friends who is much younger and way cooler than I could ever be. And this is my chat with Fabian Rivers. So now we have a very special guest this week. Now, some of our younger listeners out there may have spotted our next guest on the telly screens because, drum roll please, drrr, it's Fabian Rivers. Yeah. <laughs> How are you doing, mate? I'm doing excellently. Even better for being here, Jake. Oh, How are you? It's so good to see you. I'm really good. And this week, so we probably need to expand a little bit on that. One of the things that we do, um, and I haven't really talked about it yet on, on, the, on the podcast, is we film a show that goes on CBBC called The Pets Factor, which is a veterinary-based show following a number of vets, promoting, kind of promoting, but also just celebrating the veterinary industry, the work we do. How to look after your pets to to the younger audience out there, and very excitingly, this new series, series seven, we have introduced a new member of our team, and that is your very good self, Fabian. How's it been? How have you found filming? Ta-da! Oh, filming filming was was great. It was a it was a it was a huge shift because, especially in you know the context of everything that's going on now. So having the cameras gave me a lot more space, I would say, to 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 have kind of open conversations about the characters behind the owners and and the animals themselves. So it was great. So tell us a little bit about your job then, because I know, I mean, most people, when we say we're vets, you know, you expect the dogs, the cats, maybe farm animals, possibly horses, but you've gone down, what should we say? It's quite a niche path, isn't it? Tell us a little bit about your job. So I am an exotics vet. Now for people who are listening, exotics makes me sound like I'm out in the you know, Serengeti or chasing down wild cheetahs and all sorts. But it literally means within the context of, of, you know, our community, shall we say, anything in small mammals, rabbits, gerbils, hamsters, um, birds, wildlife, reptiles, lizards, snakes, everything. So I see all the the weirder and wonderful niche areas um, and kind of form an, an overlap between kind of companion companion animal stuff, so um, which is like dogs and cats typically. But um, it's 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 very very niche, and so it, it makes my job really exciting because I, I I never know what an av- there's no such thing as a an average day for me. Oh, you shattered my dreams. I thought we were going to have you know, footage <laughs> of you chasing wild cheetahs and all these things. <laughs> I'm joking. No, it's cool. I mean, I think it's um, it's an area of veterinary medicine that not many people kind of feel quite confident in as well. Is that is it something that you've always had an interest in? How, what was your childhood like growing up? Did you have sort of bedrooms full of tanks of sort of iguanas and snakes and lizards? And what, 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 what was it like? Tell us. For me, growing up, I always liked novelty. And so... Having a new experience with new, weird and wonderful things literally was, was, was a very much a go-to for me. So I, I think the first, we had cats and dogs around the house, um, as, as so many people do growing up, but I had stick insects. 
and and I had rats at the complete confusion of the rest of my family because they had no idea why I wanted to, to have have pet rats, but I had three pet rats. Um, and I was the person who had an ant farm or a worm farm. And those are the things that I could legitimately get into the house without my, my mom or my brother going out. Because my brother in particular is very phobic when it comes to animals. Like he's just, oh, no. they're very, okay, they stay over there. And, and that's, that's as far as interaction is. So there's that, that other side of that spectrum where I was the kid who would be wondering what a worm looked like up close. But weird thing is, I had no idea that going into exotics practice was something you could do straight out of uni. So to be given an opportunity straight away was 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 is a huge privilege, to be honest. Ooh, yeah, pretty cool. And just tell us when when did so when did you graduate? Two years. Two years. Two ago. years ago. Nice. God, I'm very I'm fresh. Old. That makes me feel oh my god. It's twenty years. I was calculating. It's nearly twenty years since I wrote my my personal statement for getting into vet school. <gasps> I know. 20. Yeah, nearly. It'll be next year, 20 years. So I've been practicing James, you for look, 15 years. James, you look fantastic. Oh, so, so for, for 20... <laughs> it's the lighting. It's because I put the camera near the windowsill. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's 20 years. So basically what I wanted to do today is I'm getting loads and loads of questions um, from all sorts of different people, uh, different ages, uh, different backgrounds, but predominantly maybe from younger listeners about how to get into vet school. You know, being a vet is something that, I mean, I absolutely love. I'm so passionate about the profession and I know you are as well, but I sort of thought, well, me being kind of 20 years out and you being two years out, that we could probably both come together and actually offer hopefully quite quite a good a sort of viewpoint on this. So when it comes to getting into vet school, did you did you always know that you wanted to be a vet? Uh, yeah, it, it, it's one of those very, what's the word? I'm, it's very cliche in my approach to veterinary medicine. So it was something that I had. I had an affinity to animals at a very, very young age. So um, before I had a real conception, I say this to people all the time, before I had a conception of what veterinary medicine was, I knew I wanted to be working with animals or wildlife or nature. It is cliche. I liked animals. I always wanted to be around animals. I wanted to hug everything that was walking in the street. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm just very, I'm very blessed to, to have got to this particular position where I am now because it makes sense for me. It's, it's, it's completely part of, of, it's a subsidiary to who I am and it's such a big part of my life. Yeah, I think that's it. I think for most vets, that's, it's something you can't really put into words. Like it's almost part of your DNA, isn't it? It's almost like something, it's just, there's nothing else that I wanted to ever do growing up. It was, I just knew, like you said, it was exactly the same. I just knew I wanted to be around animals. I think for me, maybe less the science, you know, I, I never really sort of married up the science with the animals as such until maybe later on once I got to actually having to kind of get into vet school and then the science almost was kind of a bit of a necessary evil almost in my eyes for getting into where I wanted (laughs) to be it's so much more than just becoming a vet you know people still have this preconceived idea that becoming a vet is you know to then work in a consulting room and and treat dogs and cats and, and what have you but it, it can take you in so many different directions. You know, I've now got friends that have taken it and gone into work in the city in London, you know, and because I've got a vet degree in the pocket, it's kind of opened doors to them. So, you know, I think it is, I think it is a really, a really great profession to get into for if people are, are thinking about it. But that doesn't help younger listeners that might be thinking, yeah, that's all good and well. We know that it's great. We want a slice of the cake. How do I get in? So if you, if you could sort of give top tips to... So somebody might be listening to this, they may be sort of at GCSE level possibly, 
um, and they're sort of starting to really properly consider becoming a vet. So I think the main thing at that age is a honest commitment to to the idea of veterinary medicine. So spending time with animals, whether it's um, you know volunteering, I volunteered at a uh, a charity farm. Um, uh, and I would go every Friday. Um, I went for my year 10 work experience and getting your hands dirty, you know, willing to, mm. willing to just help and understand how a lot of the procedures work in a veterinary practice. If you're lucky enough to get a situation or a farm, you know, just understanding what actually is the, the nitty gritty of, of, of working with animals. So that would definitely be my, my, my top tip. I think obviously we know about grades, the way that, we have a you know the pressures around grades it's, it's very important that you get good grades it's the way it is and i think there needs to be something said about how we see that you need to have 10 stars at gcse or you know all nines now because when when we did it we had grades and now they have numbers so it's always this kind of the pressure towards having high grades and the schools need to see that you have the commitment to the work because we know veterinary medicine is, is hard. It's really, really, really difficult. So that underpins a lot of the, the, the things that you do at university level. But I think we overstate the fact that if you have 10 A stars, it doesn't necessarily mean, or whatever the equivalent is now, it doesn't mean that you necessarily will be a better vet than someone who only has three A's at that level. So the commitment has to come from a genuine passion and, and you'll understand that the more time you spend animals. It's not about just ticking boxes to get into vet. There isn't a magic formula if, if you really want to get into vet school. It's about, it's, it, I think it's more about actually g- genuine interest there. You know, I think rather than getting sort of slightly swept up in the excitement and idea of becoming a vet, actually getting to the nitty gritty and trying to, you know, if you do get onto a placement, actually ask yourself, are you actually enjoying this? You know, if you're working on a sheep farm, are you actually interested in this? You know, if you're in a vet's, and you know that they're, they're they're sort of asking you to clean a few cages out, and all you can see is the clock ticking away, and you're thinking, "God, I just want to go home. I'm just doing this to get into vet school." I kind of say, actually, maybe you know, just just don't be afraid to say this. It, it might not be for you as well. You know, I think there is, you know, we're both in practice. We know that there is also an issue at the moment with dropout and people feeling quite disillusioned with veterinary, and, and possibly, you know, where does that come from? And there's lots of research now going into that. Veterinary medicine is very rewarding, but within that, it has to be rewarding for you as an individual Mm. Um, because there is a certain status applied to veterinary medicine, but the status, I guess, doesn't outshine the amount of things that you'll have to do to make it work for you. The classic would be financial reward. You know, a lot of people get a lot of reward from their job with a big bonus or that that's quite a big motivator for a lot of people but um veterinary i think i mean i think it's important to say you know the veterinary salary is is by no means you know it's by no means rubbish i think it is i don't know the stats but i think it is still slightly above average uh salary for you know in in terms of population i think what maybe people don't realize is how hard you have to work for that relatively average salary if your primary motivator is 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 financial you know i mean there are there are a handful of people in within the industry making a huge amount of money out of it but the the gp vets the practitioners you know the the, that's not necessarily gonna be the case i i saw something a few years back 
And I think it may have been an American study. See, James, I do have a stat for you. Um, oh, good. But Come this on. Particular, this, <laughs> this particular stat said veterinary medicine, out of all of the degrees at university, for the amount of money you put in, had the worst investment return. Wow. The amount of money that you have to spend on average to facilitate EMS, which is effectively for people who are listening, is like your mandatory work experience that you have to fulfill through your university course. Yeah. The amount of traveling and accommodation, all of these are hidden costs of veterinary medicine that you don't see when you apply. And also, let's add in the fact that often we're doing EMS in points when a lot of other uni students can, you know, pick up summer jobs, you know, yeah, whatever it is. It. Yeah. And so, yes, we do have um, higher than average uh, salaries, but it's a five or a six year course. Um, for the for the overwhelming majority of us, and then there's people who do d- degrees before they went into veterinary medicine, and then suddenly you were you know a lot of people are accruing a huge amount of debt. The financial rewards for the overwhelming majority are not in line with the amount of work you you put in, but and that's why veterinary medicine is is a is a vocation for passion for involvement and and really about fulfilling goals for yourself. As far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. it's it's. For a career to give me so much emotional, and I mean this, emotional fulfillment um, as a job, you know, I, I can't see myself doing anything else where I'm able to, to do that. Yeah, we love our job and I, and I will say that and I, and I do absolutely adore it. But there, there, are, there are challenges that come with that. You know, you're dealing with emotional situations, you're dealing with upset clients, we're dealing with money. You know, we, we're they're one of the few professions that then have to actually charge for our our medical advice at the end of it, big bills, emergency situations, putting stuff to sleep. You know, the, these are these are these are hugely emotional sort of topics that you're sort of cramming into one 15-minute consult. It's no wonder that when you come home from after a day as a vet, you all you want to do is sleep for a week. What what do you think is is the biggest stress? And how have you how have you sort of developed a you know your coping stra- strategies if you like if if you're happy to talk about it? A lot of people will say to say to us, and I'm sure you've had the same. Oh God, oh I, I could never put to sleep an animal. You know I don't know how you do it. Um, oh that this must be the worst part. And honestly, I think that's not the worst part for me because as far as the way I see it and how I explain it to a lot of the clients that come in and say if I can't improve the welfare today then then why, why are we doing this? Mm. And so the biggest thing is not putting animals to sleep or euthanasia. Um, for me, it's the 95% of the cases that I've had, and maybe this applies for dogs and cats as well, but, you know, um, I would say 95% of the issues I have are really based in basic husbandry. It's very, that is the most, it's really exhausting because you, I find myself having to emotionally feel connected to the animal and academically trying to share the knowledge that I've picked up and understood. And you do, I do find myself, and this goes for anyone, I do find myself repeating myself so often that you almost want to be able to just speak to the animals and just say, okay, I need you to do this. Just make sure that they, please knock on the door when you're thirsty, because because it's, it's quite clear that, we there's there's some base work that needs to be done and and that is always the hardest part for me communication isn't it it's 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 tough but i think you know people say it all the time don't they oh well they can't tell you what's wrong with them can they and i'm like no they definitely can't that's that's you've hit the nail on the head i think it i think you're right when it comes to you know people people do definitely say that you know that oh i don't think i could put pets to sleep but 
honestly, I think in in all of my years of of practice, there's I, I can't think of any one time that I haven't felt that putting that pet to sleep is exactly the right thing to do for that animal. And I think that's something that you know people don't necessarily always appreciate that that you know it it is it is about making sure that no animal suffers. And and if that's the right thing to do for the pet, then then that's right. And most people, I would say actually come to that on their own conclusions as well you know it, which is really difficult but but it's but it's still the right thing to do and that's i think that's one of the areas of veterinary medicine where there is it is there is a huge amount of responsibility on the vet shoulders in lots of different ways you know and that that's just one example of where it is in a very emotional job right so we're going to round things up and i'm going to ask you some quick fire questions are you ready i'm very ready <laughs> not <laughs> okay three two i need a buzzer or something three two one first question your first pet dog best vet moment so far pets factor hey! <laughs> biggest <laughs> biggest tip for getting through vet school spend time with animals nice your favorite animal <laughs> this is a horrible one you can never <laughs> ask a vet this this is a uh, I'm collect- I'm collecting sweat um on my head. Uh, uh, I'm gonna start. Uh, five, uh, four, baby dragon. Oh, good. If you were a dog, what breed of dog would you be? Whip it. <laughs> nice. And who's your favourite bet on the pets factor? Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll give you that. Okay. Oh, you know, you you tried to catch me. I was nowhere I was gonna say. Oh, it. you're good. You're gonna, gonna say it. you're gonna survive this telly world. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> oh no it's been so good to chat um and i think i'm hoping that people listening will find that really useful especially if either you're trying to get into vet school and this it's not necessarily just kids you know we, we've i know loads of friends that have gone to vet school later on in life they've got through deferred entry or, or postgrad and there's loads of different ways of getting in i think my sort of my top tips would be to to really make sure it's what you want to do if it is right for you then you will get there just just keep going at it um, and make sure that you keep it. It's not so much keep it in perspective, but don't don't give up everything of you to to get to to vet school because it is it is just as equally important to make sure that you look after yourself. You know the other stuff that you love in life. You know your hobbies, your your you, you know things that you enjoy as well as as the animals. What about yourself? Have you got any roundup top top tips for people? I think there are simple things you can do as an individual. Um, for me, it was meditation was very important i've been meditating for ages but even on a wider sense is reach out to the your support network um you know there's bvets there's bvlgbt plus because you know people from these communities definitely need a space because they won't always see themselves reflected in in the kind of the cohort going in or the university so much so um if you want it and you you're committed to it you will get there and there's no one approach to getting into veterinary medicine and if you get there and it's not right for you there's plenty of space to, to, to diversify well that's it isn't it vets they're going to diversify be vets bvlgbt you know things there that we both feel very connected and uh, and passionate about so yeah brilliant right lovely good to see you i will see you on the telly later on and we will uh, we'll catch up very soon it's great to talk absolutely james see you later mate take it easy bye when i got my offer to study veterinary medicine it was just one of the best days of my life i can just so clearly remember being absolutely over the moon so excited you know all my dreams coming true and I, 
I honestly, the experiences that I've had of being a vet, which is now taking me into the world of media, into television, you know, the adventure just never stops. And it all started with my love for animals and, and a veterinary degree. So all I can say is if you want it, then just go for it. Join me again next time when I'll be sharing more animal shenanigans with another fab guest and I'll be answering more of your questions. So please do get in touch. Thank you to my wonderful guest, Fabian Rivers, and of course to everybody out there for listening. Please do hit subscribe, leave a review, leave a rating, blah, blah, blah. But most importantly, have a awesome week with all of your pets and we'll catch up again very soon.